Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and I'm checking my sound levels here to see if I think this morning's show was taped with a little bit of uh, short on sound, but I'll fix that uh, when we release it on the network. So this one we may release on the network a little bit early. I don't know. I'm not sure where we're going to go. I've got all kinds of ideas, uh, and I'm just, you know, life... In life, we wing it, prepare, we work, but uh, on the day-to-day choices that we make, we're pretty much stuck making the choices in the moment. And that's where the kingdom of God is. It's in the moment. It's not in our theology or epistemology or our opinions of God, which is all we can ever have is our opinions of God. But if we're really to know God, that's only in the moment. Because God is in the moment. That's why he's referred to as the I am. Because he's in the moment. Now he may be in every moment, but you're only in one moment at a time. So your relationship with God will be in the moment. And unfortunately, ever since the garden, we have been trying to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. And we're using our intellect most of the time to do that. Occasionally we'll use soothsayers and... and, uh, college education and uh, knowledge, basically, that we will accumulate from the world or from experience or from our reasoning or our imagination. And we will invent God in our minds. And sometimes we will draw pictures of him and sometimes we will make statues of him and sometimes we will make temples that are in his honor. But that's all us. God's unaffected by that. Our relationship with God is affected by that because it actually interferes with our relationship with God. Our opinions can get away in the way of the truth. And the truth, like I say, I can have an opinion, you can have an opinion, we all can have an opinion. But God's opinion is reality because he is the I am. And so whatever God is, he is that. You know, I I listened to a few atheists talking and being interviewed and uh, there's a lot of them out there and uh they're just they just don't believe in God. That's what they say. They just don't believe in God. They just don't believe in this divine being. Well, whose God don't you believe in? You know, the Lutheran God, the the Episcopalian God, the Catholic God, the Jewish God, the Muslim God, they all got an opinion about God. Their opinions don't make God by the nature of whatever God is supposed to be if we're talking about the God. Now, Paul says there are gods many, or them that say they are gods and are no gods. But what does that word God mean? And I I shared with the network, I think I have an email about ready to go out to the network I have that set up. It's going to be going out probably pretty soon. I've I've mentioned it. You know, we have some videos up that explain what the word God, not God, the word God. 
you know, which is Theos in the Greek and often Elohim in the Hebrew. Not always Elohim, and even if you were to write down Elohim, it will sometimes appear with additional letters besides the, you know, Eleph, Lamad, Mim, that you would expect to find in Elohim or Hey Mim. These are all... All those letters are representing ideas and sometimes they include extra letters in there. And sometimes the word that they translate normally, God, is also translated judge. And the word that is G-O-D-S, small g, gods, is often the same exact word that is the capital G, God, singular. So what is God? God is the ruling judge. God is the determiner of the truth. By, by the definition, he is the I am, he is the truth, he is the omni-essence of everything. And the pattern that has created everything. His pattern is seen in nature. His character is seen in creation. And we see all this creation. We know something created. We see that there is a pattern in creation. There are repetitions of that pattern and the principles of that are included in that pattern in creation. And whatever the uniformity of that creation is and those patterns that we see in that creation, we call God. It is what exists. It is the I am. And then there's us with our opinions and our epistemologies (laughs) and uh, our rationales trying to prove our opinion is right. And nowadays, you don't even have to prove your opinion is right. You just have to get a degree and put that diploma up on the wall and then that, that says, well, he's right. He has a diploma. He has a degree of knowledge. Except for the fact that you can find all kinds of people that have degrees, uh, you know, Adolf Eichmann, uh, what was it, Dr. Mingala, he had a degree in medicine, took the Hippocratic Oath in German, and, uh, but he did harm to people. But it was for the greater good, you know, so, I mean, you can rationalize it, because that was a part of his epistemology, to convince himself that what he was doing was good, because it's for the greater good. And, you know, there's actually people out there that think the world should have only have 500 million people in it. And 7 billion people is too much. And so we have to get rid of 7 billion people. And they've published it. They've carved it in stone. And their opinion is that most of you got to go. We have to get rid of you. And that will be good to get rid of you because it's bad that there are so many of you. And they call good evil because... In my opinion, there's room for twice as many as we have now. And, uh, you know, I was listening to an interview with, uh, I probably have some of that interview in my notes. I took notes while I was listening to it. I found it fascinating that, uh, that, uh, they were talking about, you know, there's actually more ground, uh, out there for nature. There are more trees. More plants growing now. The world is greener now than it was a hundred years ago. Yeah, more. Now, some will say, well, it's single culture because they're, 
they're growing these in, you know, a lot of these trees are planted as a matter of horticulture where they're plantations of trees. But the fact is there's deer still walking amongst them. The fact that, you know, you, you go out and see a forest in parts of Germany and the trees are in a straight line. <laughs> Evenly spaced, very, you know, it's just like German soldiers. They're all marching together. And uh, in America, we're not so enthusiastic all the time for our replants of trees because you got guys walking all over the hills and planting them. And so there's a little bit more of a scattering of that. But uh, the reality is still a woods, still a forest. Now, we make mistakes because of our opinions. I always gave the example of... Uh, you know, certain trees in certain areas are climax species. They they will, you know, when you first, like, burn off a forest or burn off uh, trees or cut them all down, whatever, and disturb the soil, certain trees come back first. In some areas, it's alder. In some areas, it's popple. In some areas, it's different kinds of trees. And some of those trees, like the alder, is kind of a nitrogen-fixing tree. And it will actually put nitrogen back into the soil it's deciduous so it'll drop leaves and the leaves will fall on the ground and and uh, molds spores and fungus will eat those up and the alders will grow up and they shade the ground and they protect the ground they keep the grasses from coming in because grasses kill trees and eventually the seedlings of whatever the climax species is will come back in it might be fir trees it might be uh, you know different kinds of fir trees red fir White fir, um, pine trees, lodgepole, ponderosa. All these are looking for certain things in the soil. They're looking for certain amounts of moisture. They're, they also like to grow together. They're not isolated, so they will actually like herd themselves together by germination of their seeds and grow up. But they'll grow slowly. They'll put down roots. They'll grow slowly because the alder or the popple are over the top of them. They're shadowing out the ground. doesn't kill them, but it allows them to get established and rooted. And eventually the popple, the alder, will live 40, 50, maybe 60 years. And they'll start falling over. And then the pine trees will shadow out the alder and keep them from coming back. But the dead alder will rot away. Their leaves are already rotting away from 40, 50 years. And they have built up the soil. And now the soil will be there for the pine trees. And eventually one particular species or another is what they call a climax species. that eventually takes over an area. This was going on before Lewis and Clark came to the Cascades and the Rocky Mountains. And... The trees had taken over some areas so thickly, so intensively, that there wasn't any deer anywhere. And without deer, there were a lot of other animals that did not exist. And they almost starved to death crossing through the forest because there was no game. There were parts of the uh, plains that had been so infested by fleas and and, uh, prairie dogs that even the buffalo wouldn't go there. Grass wouldn't grow there. It was just devastated. Because the prairie dogs became a plague. And with the prairie dogs came the fleas. And and you would literally see like dark clouds over the ground. And you were thinking like, what is that? It's fleas. Try crossing that. (laughs) On foot. (laughs) You tighten up your leggings. Uh, 
but we don't have a lot of that now because people are cultivating the soil. Now they have an opinion about cultivating the soil and some of those ideas are bad and bad for the soil and bad for the earth. But overall, if you, if you look at the world, there's less starvation, less poverty, less, uh, more, more ground for nature, more protected grounds than ever before. Yeah, there are some things that are going to be causing problems because people make mistakes. It's kind of like farming. If somebody goes into farming and they don't treat the land right, they're going to go out of business. They don't treat their children right, they will not take over the business. And nature finds a way. I mean, they they disappear off the earth and somebody else comes and they give it a try. And people get better at uh, taking care of the planet or parts of the planet perish. But right now they're, they're trying to tell us that... Uh, you know, we're all going to die of global warming. It's just simply not true. The data doesn't support it. The media supports it. There is data out there that might seem to support it, but if you look at the whole data, you look at all the pictures, you look at the people that are not on board with the fudging of data. I mean, they've been forging data. We've caught them several times, but the media doesn't tell you all about that. We we caught them planning on forging data. But the media won't tell you about that. And a lot of you have the opinion that it's going to, you know, the world's going to end in 12 years with global warming. And if somebody comes up and says anything, we're, we're heretic. We're demonized. You know, we're terrible. Now, uh, I actually I came across, it's uh, Marion Tupi, T-U-P-Y. You can probably look him up, Marion M-A-R-I-A-N. And he had an interview with Jordan Peterson. And uh, he, he wrote a book, Ten Global Trends Every Smart Person Should Know. He has a lot of information in there, and some of it is probably extremely accurate. He's done a lot of research, but he's he's not completely right about everything. It, the, it's very clear that dire predictions of overpopulation have been proven to be false. I mean, we were all supposed to be starving a hundred years ago. And actually, there's more food. And even though there's a lot of foods that are out there that are not healthy for you, you do have the choice of eating healthy food in most cases. There's a lot less poverty, so even poor people can afford to buy healthy food. But people make poor choices a lot of times and don't buy healthy food. They don't prepare healthy food. They actually prepare bad food. And they do things that are bad for their health. But that's an individual basis, and those that make those bad choices will die out. And those who make good choices will hopefully have children that will grow up and listen to their parents, if their parents treat them right, and love them like they should. And they will be wiser and smarter for it. I think we're coming on a a great die-off, though. But it's not going to be because of global warming. It's going to be because of fear. So the d- predictions of mass starvation, we were all supposed to be starving even in the early 1900s, certainly by the 1960s, and uh, and it's, n- it's not happening. There's actually more food. Now, I will predict that there will be shortages of food in the future, but it won't be because there are too many people. 
it'll be because there was a shutdown and that disrupted an economy. Now there were problems with the economy. We we don't have just weights and measures. We have debt notes. There's you know we talk about all the problems and we we should talk about the problems, but not out of fear, but out of a genuine desire to know the truth. Do I have the whole truth? No, I don't have the whole truth. And I've told you often that the definition of a lie is not the whole truth. But then I don't claim to have the whole truth and nobody can talk about the whole truth in a single moment or a single hour or a single two-hour show. They're going to talk about bits and pieces of the truth. They're going to talk about elements of the truth. You, nobody's going to find the whole truth. You, you don't have the capacity to find the whole truth. But in this, this strange, mysterious, mystery God that we talk about, there is the whole truth. All the knowledge is there. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Well, probably, most of you probably won't believe it, but, uh, you know, I, I was not a good student at first. Now, a lot of people might believe that. <laughs> I was, I was a wild, rambunctious child and, uh, a terror to any teacher. I went to private schools. I'm sure I was a terror. They seemed to like me, but I'm sure I, I gave them a hard time. But I, I may have been charming as a child. I've got some pictures I, that some people think I was cute. But uh, I, I know I was a bundle of energy. But when I was in fourth grade, I suddenly, when I was first learning to read, I because I, that's when I was first learning to read, and I wasn't learning in school. I was learning because my dad was teaching me at <laughs> all. And he was he was very cunning in how he did it, but I won't go into that. But so I was reading ahead in the science book, and I found out that under the pictures had all the answers to the questions that this substitute teacher was asking. And so I kept raising my hands and coming up with the the answers. And she started calling me Mister Scientist, and uh, everybody started looking at me. I never had that before. Everybody had looked at me before, but not because I was smart, because I was usually causing trouble. In a nice sort of way. And uh, I liked that. I fell in love with that idea. That was pride. And pride goeth before the fall. And I fell into science and began to study science and, and tried to study and study and study science. And the more I studied, the, actually, the you know, for a while I got really good grades. But then I, I started falling away because the, the, the pride does not last. That cannot be your motivation. It's selfish by its nature. And uh, and so I, I began to struggle with that. And eventually, I, oh, long story short, eventually I came to realize that that was a mistake. And I walked back from knowledge. I thought knowledge was power. Knowledge was something to be proud of. Knowledge could give me the answers. And I had to unlearn that. I had to let go of that. That knowledge doesn't give you the answers. You know, we talk about a lot of facts, a lot of information. But I'm not trying to give you knowledge. I'm trying to show you that the knowledge you have is not true. And I'm not saying, okay, follow my knowledge. Follow the knowledge I have. No, I'm saying, seek the Spirit of God. So I was going to tell you the story. Anyway, I was beginning to realize that, you know, I'd gone to the seminary and i I had attended St. Joseph's College, and now I was back in high school in California. 
because I had left all that behind. I actually tried to get out of the advanced places that they were putting me to study because it w- I was burning out, I guess, is probably what I was doing. And I wanted to just be like the regular guys. So I went to a regular high school. It was still a private school, but... Uh, of course, when I was a junior in high school, they put me in with the seniors, at least in some of the classes. But I still, according to California law, I still had to do the four years, even though I had really enough credits to graduate. But I was okay. I was now having this social structure more with kids closer to my own age. I mean, I was young for a senior when I was a senior. I graduated when I was 17. But uh the... uh the fact is, is that I was coming to grips with a lot of stuff about this pride and this knowledge and all this stuff. And they wanted me, and I'd given up the idea of even going to college. They were going to have me go to college in my senior year when I was with one school, but my folks moved and I went to another school. And then the second school wasn't going to have me go off campus to go to college because I already had enough credits except for like one class. And he, he made me a little bitter, the, uh, the, the priest that uh, wouldn't allow me to go off to college because I was kind of thought that that was good. I'd be 17 years old and attending college again. I'd get end up with a college degree by the time I was 20. I thought that'd be a great thing. And then I could go off and go into business, make lots of money, get married. So I had this kind of plan that I had made for myself and he got in the way of that plan. It wasn't the end of the world. I would eventually be able to do that, but it soured me. My bitterness and unforgiveness soured me. I actually never ever talked about it till just now, but I can see that that's what was actually happening under. The... So now I was supposed to take these tests, these aptitude tests and these, uh, I guess SAT tests and everything, and I had lost all interest in going to college. So I went in to take the tests, and I didn't even care. I I didn't prepare for it. I didn't do anything. I just uh, back up a little bit. I had also decided pretty much that, okay, I was going to this high school. I was in these classes. I knew I didn't want to pursue that. I was coming to grips with this idea of pursuit of knowledge was a pursuit of vanity. And But I, would, I also knew that I was to obey my parents. So I knew they said, go to school. I went to school. They say, pay attention. I paid attention. My brain wasn't out the window all the time. I wasn't distracted or motivated by anything but the moment. And I listened to the teachers. And when I was inclined, I wrote down a note about what I was listening to. It ended up that in several classes, my notes looked like the final exams. And I aced everything. And in theology class, I would put down, this is your answer. This is my answer. <laughs> I guess I was also coming to grips with the fact that the uh, the church that I had uh, been aspiring to be a priest in was not the one true church. Somebody told me that once. Uh, in the church, but I, uh, I was now coming to grips and realizing the information in my own heart. Cause knowledge is not, that you get through your brain, through your ears, is not written on your heart. It's, it's put into your mind, but it, 
you want your heart writing upon your mind. You want God writing upon your mind. You want the Spirit of God to write upon your mind and upon your heart. That only happens if you're humble enough to listen, to be still and know. So now in classes, I would be still. And I was in the class, in the moment, listening to the teacher. I could still see all the other things going on around me. But I was in that room to learn whatever that individual was supposed to teach me because my parents put me there. So I was obeying my parents. I wasn't, I wasn't honoring them yet, but at least I was obeying. <laughs> and I was also obeying my father in heaven who said that I had to be in the moment. I was learning more about how to be in the moment. And so anyway, I went in to take this test and I just, absolutely aced it (laughs) I got I was higher score than most college graduates you know I was in the top 20% of all college graduates and suddenly everybody wanted me to go to their college (laughs) and had already given up the idea of going to college so when I the day after I graduated I got on a motorcycle and took off for the highway and uh, sort of did it my way. <laughs> there was a program back then that had that in the theme song. So anyway, uh, the reality is knowledge is not not going to tell you what is true. You can't hold all the knowledge. And, you know, I'm not saying that facts are bad. But you have to learn to be still and listen to the source of not only knowledge but creation itself and that's god whatever that is and in order to find it christ showed us a way to find that or allow cuz you don't really find it that's that's almost a vanity thing that thinks that you found the truth you found god you allowed him to find you so again it's not it's not what you do. You're not saved by what you do. But you may be condemned by what you don't do because you're not doing it because you're not really listening to God. God is supposed to be writing on your heart and your mind and then you follow the leading of His Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If anything, Christ was trying to teach us how to do that. He certainly was teaching the apostles how to do that. And that's what you need to learn. You don't need more information to find that. Now that, I'm not saying don't learn more information. I'm saying that's not the source. I was talking to somebody just today that, you know, we were talking about money systems. We don't have just weights and measures. We have Federal Reserve notes or checks or debit cards or what have you. None of that's real. Bitcoin, not real. It's it's a way of bookkeeping. It's a way of coming to some kind of agreement that you have the X amount of value here, you know, in your Libre account or whatever. And it's fine. You can do that. But you need just weights and measures somewhere too. But even if you had just weights and measures, you would still not have a guarantee that you'd have a good economy because... You, If you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, whatever you do, whether it's with gold and silver or Bitcoin, will undermine life. It will, it will, because you either have the love of Christ, which is a love that will lay down its life for 
his fellow man. Or you have the love of Satan, which will devour his fellow man. And we do this in little ways. You know, Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect because it was based on a covetous practice of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor that you forced your neighbor to pay for by the power of government. If you're the government of the people for the people and by the people, you're the only one who has the power to decide how much you're going to give to the ministers of your government. If they're deciding, you're not free. Write it down. Now, I'm not against government because some of you deserve to be in bondage. The brothers of Joseph certainly deserve to be in bondage. Maybe even Joseph had done something wrong. I haven't really taken time to to go through and read it. There may be a hint that he was doing something wrong. He may have been a little vain. And he needed to go to jail. (laughs) So to speak, Egyptian jail. Be sold into bondage. And because uh, he needed to learn a lesson or two. Maybe it was about forgiveness because it seems like that's what he really learned. He forgave his brothers. I don't think he was ready to do that at first. But after being thrown into jail and then being brought out again, he was learning to forgive. And he was ready to forgive his brothers. But his brothers hadn't learned their lesson yet. So they went into bondage. And God didn't put them into bondage just to punish them. Put them into bondage so that they could learn what they failed to learn without that. It's, it's, these kinds of processes are built into creation. From one end of creation to the other. That if you, if you go a certain way, certain things will happen to teach you that that's not a good way to go. You touch the stove, you get burned. The stove's not burning you because it's angry with you. Stove's burning you because it's hot, and you're feeling that burning because you got your hand on it, which is a dumb thing to do. Shouldn't have done that. And maybe the knowledge of that will be emphasized by the pain that comes with it. Now, sometimes people just the hand just gets close to the stove and they say, "Oh, oh, that I think that's hot." They might lick their finger and tap it, and they hear the sizzle. And they go, yeah, that's hot. I don't think I want to touch that. Other people got to sit on it a while, it seems like. Because <laughs> they don't want to believe that it's hot and that it's burning them. And that, so they suffer with that. Kind of like global warming. <laughs> so anyway, uh, back to Tuppy. And Mary and Tuppy and Jordan Peterson, you probably look it up. Ten global trends every smart person should know. And like I said, it's very interesting, but there's some things he does not realize. He's just talking about ten global things. That's not the whole truth. But he does point out that the lives of most people on the planet, at least planet-wide, have dramatically improved. I mean, we don't even have the wars we used to have. when we do have isolated wars, but that's just for the six o'clock news. So they got something to put on it. And I guess we're going to have more now. We can certainly see a trend moving to more. Rockets firing off. It's it's amazing. You know, Hamas is firing rockets now. They weren't firing rockets, uh, you know, six months ago. But they're, they're firing rockets now because they're going to get away with it. The press is going to give them the heads up on it. Israel fires back. 
and they're the bad guys. <laughs> That's bad. Not to say that Israel is the good guys. Like I say, if you go to Israel now, as a, a temporal state, they're breaking every rule in Moses' rule book. And Moses' rule book, especially the statutes of Moses, are just trying to explain the principles of God's Ten Commandments. And God's Ten Commandments are just trying to explain to you what you need to do to find God. Trying to follow them with your own knowledge and information will end up that you will actually think the Sabbath is about counting days. You'll actually think that if I take Saturday off and I do these certain things and light these certain candles, that God will be happy with me. You might even believe that if you pile up stones and put sheep on top of them and set them on fire, that God will be happy with you. There's nothing in the Torah about that. It doesn't tell you to do any of those things. But you'd have to understand Hebrew. But even if I taught you Hebrew, showed you all the meanings, which we do in books that are free online and articles that are free online, you still won't get it unless you let the love of Christ in your heart. In order to let the love of Christ, when I say the love of Christ, how am I using the word, the preposition of? It's not letting Christ love you. It's you actually loving others as Christ loves you. And Christ loved you so that he was willing to lay down his life so that you might be free. And he actually, he, he freed those Jews of Judea who were seeking the kingdom, repenting, thinking a different way, thinking different than Herod, thinking different than the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were in apostasy. They were making the word of God to none effect. And Christ said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to somebody else who will bear fruit. And so he gave it to the apostles. And if Christ was the Messiah, the apostles who we later on started calling the church, because they were the called out, they were the ecclesia, and that's the word that you actually see in the Greek text. They were the called out. He called them out, his ministers, not just the apostles, but the 70 and the 120 in the upper room. He called them out to be his ecclesia. We, we translate that to church. They they were appointed a kingdom, a government. And Rome recognized that government. They recognized that government because Jesus Christ is king of Judea. Jesus Christ is king of Judea. Jesus Christ is king of Judea. So as long as his appointed apostles existed, you could join that government. It, they worked daily in the temple, but they didn't need the temple any more than the first century, or not say first century, the early Levites needed a stone temple. They didn't need a stone temple. They were the living temple of God. They were lively stones. And the Israelites gathered together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and contributed to the ministers of their choice, the ones they saw as righteous men. And they became a nation that was mobile. It could move around. It could go anywhere. It didn't have to stay in the Middle East. It could go anywhere. Just like Abraham could go anywhere. Anywhere that the faith of Abraham went, 
There went the kingdom of God. And that's what the early church was. It was Israel. It was the kingdom of God. You know, like I've said, people tell me that, uh, that Christianity is an offshoot of Judaism. No, what we see is Judaism, which is quite a variety of Judaism out there today, is an offshoot of the kingdom of God. They have left God. Just like many of the people who had rebelled against the kings, of course, to even have a king was rebellion against God. But uh, they became Christians after the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Or during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. So that's one of our hopes and prayers is that a lot of you who think you're Christians now will start becoming a Christian as we see the decline and fall of the new Roman Empire, the new world. And so we have to turn around and go this other way. And what is what was uh, Tuppy missing? Well, one of the things is what Polybius said, that uh, if you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, which is socialism, you will become perfect savages. You will degenerate into perfect savages. You will take a bite out of one another and feel justified in your opinion that it's okay. You'll start religions that say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other and call themselves benefactors. That's okay as long as you believe in Jesus. Yet Jesus, as his final instructions to his ministers, called out ministers, said it's not to be that way with you. Yet the people claiming to be the ministers of Christ are now commanding that it be that way with you. And many of these people who think they're Christians don't see that. They don't have that opinion. They think it is okay. They, they've paid in. They, they want the benefit back. But they are blocking the Holy Spirit. Because they're not humble enough to admit that they're wrong. You know, some people say, I never admit that I'm wrong. How do you think I got to such strange opinions? <laughs> it wasn't by thinking I was right. It's by admitting I was wrong. And that's, That's what we all have to do. So it's not knowledge. I do not have the truth. I have bits and pieces of it. I'm looking through the crag in the rock. The clevis in the rock. I see God walk by and I share what I see. And what I see is that you're not following God's way. And that will lead to catastrophe. And you need to repent of that. You need to go the other way. So, you know, I've read before Alexander Solzhenitsyn's, you know, we know they are lying. They know that they are lying. They even know that we know they are lying. We also know that they know we know they are lying too. They, of course, know that we certainly know they know we know they are lying too as well. But they all still lie. (laughs) And the problem is, a lot of you don't know they're lying. You don't know they're telling the truth. How will you know they're telling the truth? Get more knowledge? Get more information? 
I don't know how many times I've said it. I only give you information so you know the knowledge you are holding on to, clinging to so passionately, just ain't so. It's not true. God does not want you to covet your neighbor's good. God wants you to forgive. God loves mercy. And you need to love mercy too if you want to make a place in your heart for God. Yeah, you paid in. Now you need to forgive. You you need to give up all that you paid in and say, I give it to you freely. I don't begrudge you it. It did go, a lot of it, went to take care of the needy of the world. A lot of times in ways that did not strengthen the poor, but at least your intent may have been good. But if you only gave so that you could get back, you're not coming in the name of Christ. Christ came to lay down his life in hope, not entitlement, that he will pick up his life more abundant. We need to be willing to do the same thing. And unless we do, I'm not sure where we're going to go with our journey to the light, to the truth. What is the truth in a given moment of time? Today you will have choices laid out before you. What you should do, what you should eat. Who's going to make those choices? Is it going to be the news media? Is it going to be the commercials you saw? Is it going to be the smell of chicken cooking somewhere? <laughs> uh, or is it going to be the Holy Spirit? What you're going to say. What you're going to share. What you're going to forgive. How do you know what to do? Is it entirely an intellectual, rational thing? No. It's a spiritual thing. If you're not giving from the spirit of righteousness, you're not giving. You're just, you know, I mean, as raised in the Catholic Church, and guilt plays a big part of Catholicism. So you do a lot of things out of guilt. I don't want people to do things because they feel guilty. Because guilt is not love. Guilt is fear. Of judgment. Why do you fear judgment? You shouldn't fear judgment. You should accept judgment. You should you, you say thank you for showing me that I've been a jerk. <laughs> Bless you for your honesty. <laughs> Bless you for your criticism of me. Because now I see I was a jerk. Yes, I don't think we have enough time. We only we're only got about fifteen minutes left of the show. But uh, uh, I'm curious. I don't know if anybody has been looking at the uh, chat room. I don't know if anybody's even in the chat room. I don't know if anybody has any questions. I could go over here and look. Oh, there's quite a few people listening. I forgot what button I pushed to. Uh, Star six, I think. I I think it's actually one. Oh. I think they just push one and they will, un, uh, you know, it will light up on my board. Um, the head of the station, he told me, <laughs> I was trying to figure it out one time. And uh, 
uh, he told me. But anyway, uh, I don't know. Do you have any questions, uh, Danny? Danny's in the studio with me. Uh, talking to the mic because I just turned your mic on. <laughs> Do you have any questions? I might just put me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I got questions, but now that I'm on the spot. <laughs> Suddenly, mind goes blank. Right. Like, oh my gosh, I have to think. So, I mean, we only got uh, less than 15 minutes, so you can't say, like, what's the meaning of life or something. <laughs> 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 or, you know, Explain to me women. <laughs> right. Uh, I've heard you talk about a new article under life. Uh, what's that all about? Well, uh, yeah, see, now, nice simple subject, life. <laughs> this is actually kind of a prelude to it. We, what we, uh, you know, and, and I'm still mulling over different things and doing a lot of research and stuff like that. And it will get into science. And some people were thinking I shouldn't be talking science so much because I am dyslexic. I get words mixed up. I mean, I forget people's names. People, uh, tell you the truth, Danny, I went to refer to you today when we were talking on the phone and I couldn't remember your name. <laughs> and, and people think, oh, that's crazy. But I don't think... Names are spelling. They're, that's letters. Letters of uh, words. I don't think in words. So I don't, you know, like somebody says, oh, spelling is easy. You just picture the word. Picture the word? How do you picture the word? I don't know how you picture the word. I have to, I had to create a part of my mind where I could picture words. I have a little, it's a little tiny envelope that I have words pictured. <laughs> Not an mRNA. Yeah, it's a little envelope, but I picture your words. I'm a terrible speller. And, uh, and, and there's something bizarre about that, too, because when I'm typing, you know, incessantly type H-E-R-E where I should type H-E-A-R and vice versa. I will flip them back and forth. Yeah. There, T-H-E-I-R, I will type T-H-E-R-E where I should type. I do it all the time. And all those words that sound exactly alike when I'm typing, I will type them in unless I stop to think about it, go there and check on the envelope. <laughs> I will type them in reverse of what they should be. It's part of that dyslexia. I don't know. It's just some sort of mysterious thing. But like I was saying in this morning show when we were going through the last chapter of Micah, this dyslexia and autism that I have where I, I can't think in words not very well, I can a little bit, that uh, that has allowed me to see things that other people miss. And of course, that's part of God's design, that some people will see things that other people miss. Now, some people see those things that other people miss, and they go out and make a fortune in the stock market. You know, because they, they can see the trends. They know that if I buy this, I'm going to make a lot of money. Other people will lose money, but I will make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they go. But me, I that's I take harder knowledge, and and I I was telling you about tanning hides, learning what it, how to tan hides, and tan leather, and make furs, and all this stuff. Huge amount of effort in 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 learning how to do that, and then somebody wanted me to just come and tell them all the secrets. At first, I felt a little covetous of my own knowledge. I didn't want to share that. I'm like, it was hard to get this. I'm just supposed to give it to you. I mean, like, shouldn't I charge tuition or something? 
But uh, then I realized, no, I'll just give it to them. They never did anything with it. Oh, they tried, but they did. They didn't put in the effort. They didn't put in the work. They didn't put in the sweat and the toil. And while I have put in a lot of time in learning all the things and writing all the books and sharing all the data and the information, all the books being free online, and all the, I mean, huge amounts of uh, articles trying to show you what you've been missing, everybody's been missing, I give it all away for free because I know that there is no value in the dollars and cents of that. The value is in whether or not they take that knowledge and set use it to counterbalance the knowledge they already have that is burdening their soul. The things they already think they know is true that just ain't so. To break it down so they've got none of that knowledge to depend upon. They may have the knowledge in their head, but they don't depend on that anymore. They're going to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And that comes from a waiting upon the Lord to give you the answer. Not me. I can't give you the answer. That comes from tapping in to the spirit of life. Why all this life is here on this planet. Everywhere down in volcanic bends at the bottom of an ice cold sea with billions of tons of pressure. There's stuff growing there. Breeding. Males and females. Living in the vent in that dark, dark place. Why? Spirit of life. And that spirit of life begets life. Draws life to it. Like all the ponderosa pines are drawn to each other. Occasionally ponderosa pines will scatter out through the woods. But uh, the lodgepole pines, they like growing together. So many animals, fishes, they like being together. They draw each other's kind to them. That's part of this life. Life draws life. Some life draws life so they can eat it. (laughs) They take life. Some draw life so that they may give life. And there's a little bit of that in all of us. Because we are fallen creatures. But uh, which are you going to cultivate? If you're going to cultivate life, you have to give life. And uh, and then life will come back in hopes that life will come. You cast your bread upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to you. Same principle. That They're repeating these principles over and over again. No greater love that the man that he laid down his life for his fellow man or for my sake. The, these are principles of what makes life life. What continues life. We're coming up on a time where a lot of people are going to die. I don't want people to be afraid of that. Everybody's going to die. We're all coming up on a time. <laughs> We're all going to face death eventually. Just some maybe sooner than others. But the reality is it doesn't matter if you, if you allow the love of Christ to live in you. How do you do that? You can't make it happen. There's no magic word you say. There is no... You know, holy water you spray on yourself. You can carry around in a bottle. No, no medals that you wear. No, none. It's the Holy Spirit listens where it will. If you want the Holy Spirit to come in you, forgive others. Give your life in service to others. 
not for what you can get, but for the sheer love of giving life. And so that's kind of the secret of life. Now we can talk about a lot of the delusions we have. Like people think that going out and getting this vaccine will save their lives. And they're willing to go out and get it. And they're willing to force other people to get it. To save their lives. There's a, there's a spirit of selfishness. Always is born in systems of social Socialism, because the whole idea of socialism is that men will force you to contribute to their welfare. Yeah, that everybody has to give in and then somebody will decide what everybody should get. And then you have the delusion that you're going to be able to elect somebody who's going to decide fairly. But you yourself are not fair because you want to force your neighbor to contribute to your education, to your health care, to all these things. So you already want to take away the liberty of others and that's the spirit by which you come together in socialism. To take away before you know it, you'll be taxing your neighbor 100%. We were just talking about that. Sweden when it, which were really good people, hard-working people, sharing people, taking care of one another people. They accepted socialism in a very short period of time. They were actually taxing some of their people more than 100% of their wages. And they realized, and somebody wrote about it because they they did it to an author. (laughs) And they said, oh my gosh, this is really getting out of hand. And they they tried to roll back their descent into this one purse snare and net. But uh, they're still, you know, if... Even if you're a poor person, they have no minimum wage. But even if you are making what we would call minimum wage, you would still be paying 30% taxes plus taxes on food. 25% tax on food. You want to buy a chicken. Okay, so now what happens if you're raising chickens and you want to give it to your neighbor? Uh, Government doesn't get its share. So, I mean, there's all kinds of problems with it. And the biggest problem we talked about again on this morning's show, which you can join the network and you will send you a copy of the show or where you can listen to it. But, uh, you know, what happens is that the people don't care about one another. Somebody's being stabbed in the street or attacked and people run. They hide. They close their shades. Uh, they don't want to come to each other's aid. That was absolutely unheard of in America. And I'm sure it was unheard of in Sweden at one time. But it's common today. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so then, actually weak people, weak-minded people even, can come into their community and just take over. And they can't do anything about it. Because the spirit of caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself has been strangled out of them. And they eat meat strangled. You know, that's one of the laws in the Old Testament. People think, oh, well, you can't strangle the goat because then, you know. And, of course, we don't strangle a goat. (laughs) Uh, But those are symbols. If you have forced taxation to take care of the needy of your society, you're strangling what you, the welfare you get is from strangling your neighbor, from suffocating. That was another thing you weren't supposed to suffocate. Of course, strangling is kind of suffocation. It's kind of a combination of the two. But, uh, we now have, uh, you know, 
things going to go on. Well, all these things that were metaphors, they they write them in this form of metaphor. It wasn't so much metaphor that it was very clear to an early Israelite what it meant. The fact is, those principles of death and desolation and destruction are that other side of the equation that we have been following now for decade upon decade. So it is inevitable that we will have a plague. We already have a plague of bad ideas that lead to death. We think it's okay to bite one another. And we're told that if you bite one another, in the New Testament, after the resurrection of Christ, <laughs> if you bite one another, you will be devoured. Well, Jesus said, those who seek to save their lives uh, will lose it. But those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. And, I mean, there, there's so much in that scripture. Uh, because uh, the, our selfishness, our covetous desires, uh, wanting to save our own lives through vaccines, all, all of these selfish desires uh, will cause us to lose our lives. But if you're willing to lay down your life... For others, you'll find this life that he's talking about. Right. So it's it really comes down to that simple of a statement, and that's that's the direction we have to go. So join us on the network, hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com, and we will seek the kingdom of God together. Here you hear Nitsan's calling me, <laughs> and you hear my phone ringing. But it, it's the end of the show. So God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.